Well, we've been in a series called A Perfect God in an Imperfect World, and what all of that meant. Last week, we kind of took a few moments and we, we looked at spiritual warfare and what that meant and how we fought it, and there's a whole lot more that we could talk about in that subject later, and, but I just want to keep going because Pastor Corey read to you one of my favorite passages of Scripture from the Bible. He read to you from one of my favorite books of the Bible, the book of Revelation, And I have to be honest with you, I didn't used to really get all excited about the book of Revelation. When I would read the book of Revelation, it was confusing. At times it was, I'd hear this person say this about the book. This person said it meant this, that person. And I just ended up being confused. And I remember one time just saying, I'm not even going to study this book anymore because I don't understand it. And the Holy Spirit, some of you are nodding your head saying you were that same way, but one day just reading it again because I had to read it through to complete my Bible every year. You know, that phrase that there is a blessing to those who read it. There's a blessing for those who listen to it. So you're going to be blessed by listening today. And there's a blessing for preaching it. And I want to be blessed. How about you? You want to be blessed this morning? So we're going to look at something from the book of Revelation. And as we do, I want us to see this in the perspective that I believe the Holy Spirit has us to look at the whole book. First of all, he says this is a letter from Jesus. So if you ever want to know what Jesus said, read the Revelation, not just the Gospels. But this is a letter to Jesus, from Jesus to his servants. I got to thinking, I wrote out the side of the margin of my Bible. I'm his servant, so this message is to me. How many servants of Jesus are in this place today? Can I see your hand? Sure. So this letter is a personal letter for you and for me. And I think that's part of the reason there is a blessing. I think something else that stands out to me here about this particular passage that Corey read to us and a few other verses we're going to work through in Revelation chapter 1 this morning is that John is literally in a rock in a hard spot. You ever been there? A rock in a hard place, in a tight space, a difficult spot. John is on a rocky island called Patmos. Patmos is a prison colony. Patmos, John has been exiled there because of his preaching of the gospel He's the only one of the disciples that we know, that we know was not martyred, but he was sent to this island, and there he lived on this island in prison. And by the way, he was an elderly man. He wasn't a young buck. He wasn't a young man. He's towards the end of his life, and he's got to feel awfully alone and rejected. There are a lot of people that I sit down and talk with, a lot of people, especially in our community. They're forgotten in nursing homes. They're forgotten in healthcare centers. They don't have family around them. They don't have a church family like you and I have around us. I've told you before, some of you have told me here on a Sunday is the only time of the week you get a hug because you don't have family or friends that are close by. And there's something about being family at church. And I think this is a challenging book, but it's a book that has a perspective that if you get the perspective then all of a sudden you can understand the prophetic significance. Because all that follows in the book is very important. I mean, all of the visions of heaven, all of the visions of the coming calamities upon the earth, all of the visions of, of the beast and the Antichrist, all of that is important. But if you don't get the perspective, and it's a personal perspective, that Jesus appears to John on the island of Patmos And says, John, I am with you. 
and reminds him of what he told them. Lo, I am always with you, even to the end of the age. You're going to go through some difficult experiences in life and forget that God is with you. And if you ever forget that God is with you, if you ever forget that God is for you, if you ever forget that God is not against you, but He is for us, then your circumstances can become absolutely crushing in life. There's something the Bible says about us that I see in this book as well. And we spent two years, a little over two years on Wednesday nights going through this book verse by verse by verse. Matter of fact, I was meeting with another pastor just recently. And he was asking me, he says, what is something that you've really preached on that's excited you lately? And I said, I just really enjoyed preaching through the book of Revelation. Matter of fact, I've told Becky, I've told the staff, I've told the board, something about preaching through the book makes me want to do it all over again. And you know it's good when you want to do it all over. Not that my message was necessarily good, but I just was so blessed myself by working through the book of Revelation with you. And don't worry, I'm not fixed to start it all over again. We're going to finish the books of First and Second Peter on Wednesday night. And then maybe, but anyhow, we'll, we're going to come back to that at some point in life. And the second time is always better, right? And so I, I look at this book and one of the things that stands out is that the Bible is very clear that we are kings and priests unto the Lord. And in that symbolism, kings make warfare. Kings in the Bible experience victory. And you and I, we make warfare through our intercessory prayer. We make warfare as Ephesians 6. We looked at that briefly last week in the message on spiritual warfare. But priests minister unto the Lord. And so there's something about coming together to church on a Sunday morning, the Lord's Day. Not a day of fasting, but a day of celebration. The early church would not fast on a Sunday because it was not just that we were celebrating the cross. The church doesn't meet on a Friday when Christ was crucified. We meet on a Sunday morning because that's the day the Lord was rose from the dead and triumphed over the dead and triumphed over death and hell and the grave. And so the early church would not even fast if they were an extended fast because Sunday was a day of celebration. It's why in our 40-day fast that we begin every year, we also ask you not to fast on Sunday, that if you're skipping desserts, go ahead and eat desserts on Sunday. Now, some of you I have discovered, much to my surprise, that one of the reasons you fast is not only because you want God to answer your prayers, but you're also trying to lose weight. And so, you skip desserts not for spiritual reasons. So, I just want you to know, if you want to diet on Sunday, that's between you and the Lord. But on Sunday, I'm going to have a dessert today, and I hope it's banana pudding. Somebody say, come on, victory. I mean, doesn't that just sound good? Now you're thinking, hurry up so we can get to dessert today. You know, we celebrate the day of the Lord. Well, there's several things I want to look at. Number one, God's love is always with me. You cannot escape the love of God. God's love is always there. He has promised to love you no matter what. God loves you when you're good. God loves you when you're bad. God loves you when you succeed. God loves you when you fail. God loves you when you're running from Him, and God loves you when you're running to Him. That's something we have to come to terms with, is that you never, never escape the love of God. Look at what John wrote in verse 9. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. Now, notice that. As a Christian, you and I, we're not promised that everything is going to be just peachy keen. 
But we are going to go through persecution. We're going to go through trials. Jesus told us if, if he was persecuted, we would be persecuted. So we're, we're not surprised when we suffer for the cause of Christ. We're praying this year every week. And if you're in the prayer service on Saturday night, you get a handout. We're praying for the 50 most persecuted countries in the world. Last week, we prayed for North Korea. Today, we prayed for Afghanistan. Did you know that despite all of the suffering, the murder, the martyrs is taking place in Afghanistan, there is a revival taking place in Afghanistan. People are coming to know Jesus Christ. And guess what? They are doing it on penalty of death. They're converting to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So how could I ever just go, oh me, when somebody mocks me because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. My life has not been threatened. My home has not been threatened. My family has not been threatened. Friends, we are blessed. God bless America. Amen. So sometimes even as Christians, we suffer and we endure it. But John goes on and writes, I was exiled to the island of Patmos. Why? For preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. He wasn't exiled because he got drunk. He wasn't exiled because he didn't pay his bills. He wasn't exiled because he was a bad guy. John was exiled because of his faithfulness to the word of the Lord. And there are times when you are faithful to Christ, you may not be put in prison. When you are faithful to your witness for Jesus, you may make choices in your job that will not earn you favor. I remember talking with an Air Force officer, and he says, I need you to pray with me. He said, I'm going through a lot of persecution right now. I says, what do you mean? He says, because I will not go to the bar and drink with the other officers, I have been ostracized, and, and I've been mocked, and it looks like I may be passed over for my next promotion. Fortunately, he wasn't passed over, but he experienced because he drew a line in the sand. I have a personal friend that we went to college together. John was kicked out of the Navy because he challenged an admiral for bringing strippers on board the ship and said, this is not the right thing to do. This is not the right way to build morale. And, and because he challenged the admiral publicly, which he might should have waited and did it privately, but because he challenged the admiral publicly, the admiral just leaned upon him and John was kicked out of the Navy for insubordination as a chaplain of the Navy. However, don't ever think that I'm tossing a stone because he and I have processed in his home several times together. But I'm telling you, in your life, at some point, you are going to be rejected because of your witness for Jesus Christ. It won't necessarily be because you believe in the rapture. It won't be necessarily because you believe in heaven or hell. It won't necessarily be because you were a cross. But somewhere, the preaching of Jesus Christ will be offensive to someone in the world. And at that point, we have to position ourselves next to the cross of Calvary and not closer to the world. And so we go through these times that I call islands of rejection. Jesus came to me once when I was in one of those times that I call an island of rejection. Becky and I had taken the pastorate of a small church that I've told you about before. It's now known as the Macon Miracle, but in those days it was a very, very difficult situation. And and becoming out of a, a loving church like this one and a strong church like this one, my pastor had encouraged me to find some pastors to be my prayer partners with. And we had lots of prayer partners in, in our church in South Georgia. And so I went to some pastors and the first pastor I went to, he says, what for? And I said, well, I just like for someone to meet with me and pray once a month and we could share with one another. And he goes, I don't see the need of that. 
I went to another pastor in our community and I asked him, would you meet with me and could we pray together? And he says, son, let me give you some advice. Don't ever open up your heart to anybody. Don't ever confide in anybody because if you do, somebody's going to use that to hurt you and I'm not interested. And we were kind of devastated because it was difficult in those days to find someone to pray with us. God answered our prayers and surrounded us with a group of people that didn't meet with us monthly but met with us weekly. And we prayed together every Wednesday from 10 o'clock to noon and then we had lunch together. And those folks are directly responsible for every miracle that happened in, at Woodland, excuse me, at Evangel in Macon, Georgia. But here's what I want to share with you. We went through that same thing here at Woodland 20 years ago when we began our small groups. There were some people that says, well, we, I'm afraid to open up. I'm afraid to share. And by now, most everybody that goes to Woodland regularly, you know what happens in small groups. Thank you. And may the fleas and ticks of a thousand camels invest your armpits in your beds if you ever violate that rule. And God answers my prayer. Don't you ever forget that. Because people go through those islands of rejection sometime and you feel like you're all alone. Maybe, maybe this morning you're going through something and you just feel like, I can't share. If I share, I could be heard. You know, I can't share because I'm ashamed. Or I, I can't share because nobody else is going through what I'm going through. They wouldn't understand. Beloved, listen to me. I love you with all of my heart. You are not alone. Jesus is with you and your brothers and sisters in Christ will always stand with you. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. But John, unlike you and me, he's in a prison colony and it's a difficult place and he gets a personal visitation from the Lord. So the second thing I learned from that is that God's Spirit will always lift me up. God's Spirit will always lift me up. I, I wrote originally, God's Spirit will always help me transcend my circumstances but that sounded a little bit highfalutin and snobbish, so I just chose to go, he will lift me up. He will lift me up. Years and years ago, when we were working with children, we used to sing a little song with them called, Jesus gets me down, Jesus gets me down, when the devil's got me up a tree, Jesus gets me down. In this case, Jesus gets you up. And back in the 70s, Back in the days of the late 70s when the Jesus revival broke out and it swept from California across the United States, when it finally got to Georgia and hippies were coming to know Jesus, they would say this, Jesus makes me higher than I've ever been before. Well, that was a whole new take on the word high. And yet I want to say to you that Jesus' Spirit does lift us up in places that we've never been before. We transcend our circumstances because God makes us to rule and reign with Him in Christ. Look at this verse. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the Spirit. It was the Lord's day. Underline that. And then secondly, I was worshiping in the Spirit. You see... On the Lord's day, John stopped and he worshiped. And that's what you've done this morning. You've come to worship. You've come to enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Isn't it interesting? The scriptures doesn't say, I will enter his gates with whining in my heart. I will enter his gates with complaining in my heart. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart and into his courts with praise. And boy, did we praise the Lord this morning. He is the way maker. He is the promise keeper. He is the deliverer. My God, that is who you are. 
I leaned over to Pastor Corey and said, that's the only time I can say my God is when I sing it like that. Just that powerful song. He's a way maker. And then when Haley sang this morning, he's got me in way over my head. Have you ever been there? In way over your head? Have you ever been in and you've gone, I'm drowning, but you call out to the Lord and he lifts you up, he picks you up? Sure. Across this building, it looks like fishing corks and waves right now. People nodding. We, we know what it means to be in over our heads. I've learned something from my Jewish friends, and I'm ashamed to say it, but we Christians need to return to our roots of honoring the Lord's day. We need to return to honoring this day. We don't gather on Friday, the day of crucifixion. We gather on Sunday, the day that the Christ rose from the dead. Because in rising from the dead, Christ crushed His enemies. He crushed our enemies. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And because He lives, we shall live forevermore. And when I preach the funeral of those who have died in Christ, and I stand there, I remind everybody they are in the presence of the Lord. And one day these graves are going to open. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. I passed the cemetery this week when I have buried a number of people from our community, both from this church and other churches. And I drove by there saying, Lord, I can't wait to heaven because then I begin to call their names out. We transcend every circumstance because Christ lives. And you need to remember, that's what this day is all about. We were having dinner with our Jewish friends the other night. I, I wanted, I had my phone off. I knew that nothing like that could be on. And, but I wanted to grab a quick picture with their beautiful family. And, and, and our host just politely said, you know, we, we don't even take pictures because this is the Sabbath. This is the day of rest. And I realized once more how we have lost the holiness of what this day is all about and why we meet on this day this is not church day. This is not a blue law Sunday. Only people of faith can do what we're doing and people in other congregations around the world are doing on this day. We come in with thanksgiving in our hearts and we're worshiping Him in spirit and in truth as Jesus said. That's what this day is all about. And when you come and gather like this, what you're seeing, what you're seeing is a picture of Christ crushing His enemies. Two weeks ago, we were praying here in the altars with people, and there have been testimonies about what God has been doing. We've been praying with you. Uh, last week, as we talked, and those of you who just signified you were going through a stressful time in your life, we've been praying, and already we're hearing answers to prayer. Here's what you need to know. The God of peace, the Scriptures say, the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. So right now, in the words of an old gospel song, if you can cross your legs, look at the bottom of your shoe and say, I'm going to write a message to the devil right there. You're under my feet. You're under my feet. The third thing I'd like you to see this morning is God is in charge of my future. God is in charge of my future. By the way, I got to talk to the man who wrote that song, write a message to the devil on the bottom of your shoe. And that came out of a difficult, difficult time in his life. And I don't have time to tell you the story this morning. But what I'd like you to see next is God is in charge of my future. Every day was planned for us. Every day before we ever drew our breath was planned for us. Now, that doesn't mean that everything that happens to us is what God wanted to happen to us. He allowed it to happen to us. Some of the things that happen to us are because of our own foolishness, right? Uh, Peter writes in the epistles we're studying, he says, if you suffer 
don't let it be because you've done wrong. Do you know? I remember looking at my mom one time and saying, Mama, I have been in trouble all day long. She snapped her finger and pointed at me. She says, and if you're not careful, you will be before you go to bed tonight. You say, well, that was me. No, she was just reminding me. There was this propensity in my life to do wrong. There are some people that are just, it just, just seems like they're naturally sweet all the time. They're naturally kind all the time. But then there are some of us, there's a part of us, we really need the hand of God upon our lives. There are some of us in this room, you know, you were born sweet as sugar. You were born just ready to kiss. Some of us were born in this life and there was something about us. We were stubborn. We were independent. But we were all born in need of a Savior from our sins. And the people that I think are the most dangerous aren't the people who realize they need grace. It's the people who realize, well, I'm so good and everybody likes me. If God doesn't like me, that's His problem. You see, sin is all of our problems. Jesus didn't die just because we were good enough to go to heaven. Jesus died because our sins separated us from God. Our greatest enemy, our greatest enemy was not death. Our greatest enemy was not the grave. Our greatest enemy was our sin that separates us from God and even separates us from one another. It's what sin does. It makes us selfish. Having known that and having come to that place in my life, I remember when I gave my heart to Jesus, I said, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. I, I don't know if I can live this life out. And I wasn't a theologian. I wasn't trained. But at that moment, I prayed probably one of the most gut-wrenching, honest prayers I knew how to pray. And nothing that I have studied in theology, nothing I have worked on in all those years since then has ever changed my mind about it. I can't live this Christian life on my own. I need the Holy Spirit's presence living within me today. I need the mercy and the grace of God each and every day. I think that's why Amazing Grace is probably the world's most popular song. You hear it everywhere even song from people who don't believe it because there's something in us we all know we need grace. Well, when I know then that God is in charge of my future and there's that personal, listen, there's that personal perspective then that makes everything else have prophetic significance in this book. Don't miss that. That personal perspective, John, on this island, I am with you. You're worshiping me, John. I am with you. Tomorrow's going to be another day, but John, I am with you. And what I'm about to show you, John, it has significance because I am with you. Because if what is happening in this world, if there is no God, what is happening in their world, if there is no heaven to gain, no hell to shun, if what is happening in this world flying apart on its own, the murders, the terrorisms, that's the history of human beings, the germs, the, the viruses that are constantly developing. If there is no God, then no wonder that philosophers today are saying there's no hope. No wonder brilliant minds like Stephen Hawking says there is no hope and the world is eventually going to destroy itself and go out. But if there is a God, and I am here to proclaim to you that we are not serving a dead Savior hanging on a cross, we're serving a Savior who rose again on the Lord's day. Jesus is alive. And God has everything under control this morning. Hallelujah. Everything under control. I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. And it said, write in a book everything you see. 
And then all of those questions that people ask me, they never make sense to them. I said, look, let's don't talk about the Antichrist. Let's don't talk about 666. I'll talk to you about those things sometime in the future. But you know, you're getting caught up with what the movies say. You're getting caught up with what a horror show says. You're getting caught up with something about somebody casting demons out of somebody in the movies. I said, and that's not what this book is all about. They go, it's not? I go, no. Let me take you to my favorite chapter in Revelation. And that's the introduction. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And guess who I saw? Jesus. And we may not physically see Jesus this morning, but Jesus is here. And when you leave this place, Jesus is going to go with you. And when you commit your ways unto the Lord, He will order your footsteps day by day by day. And if something tragic happens, like happened to one of my best friends, Jim Palmer, that was killed, Pastor Jim Palmer, that was killed yesterday morning at 6.34 a.m. on I-70 West out of Columbus, Ohio. And Renee and the children are flying home, and the family is all coming in. You know that God is in control. And the fact that one car lost control and hit Jim's car and an SUV hit his car and took his life out and Jim went to heaven. I can't help but wonder what a glorious homecoming Pastor Jim Palmer, one of my longtime friends, has standing in the presence of God Almighty today. God is in control. And so our prayers are not for Jim. Our prayers are for Renee and his children. Our prayers are for his brothers and sisters, for his mother. That's who our prayers are for. But God is in charge of our future. And if I can tell you any faith that Renee has, if I can tell you any faith that his brother has that I talked with yesterday, is that God is in control. This week, I went in with the request of a family in our church to pray with a man in our, pray with a man that doesn't go to our church. I wasn't prepared for what I saw. When I walked into his room, there was an open Bible. There were cards and pictures and an unresponsive man laying there. His family assured me that he had given his heart to Christ. And I'll be honest with you, I wrestle with things just like some of you wrestle with sometimes. I looked at him. I've seen miracles. We've seen miracles happen right here at Woodland. But I looked at him and and even though they said there was no hope, there was something he says, just, just leave, just leave. Have you ever had those times where you didn't want to believe, you just felt like this would be disappointing, this would be wrong? And yet, at the same time, there's that wrestling, you know, when you want to do something that you know is not an act of faith, but then something's rising up. It's like that little boy getting excited inside. So I pulled out my Bible. And there was a passage of Scripture that I felt like the Holy Spirit had directed me to that I prayed about before I went to pray with Him. I was hoping to talk with Him. And I said, Lord, I don't know, and I called His name if He can hear me. But I ask You to speak to Him through the Scriptures, and then I want to pray for Him. And as I read every single verse of Psalms 145 over his life, I prayed with him and talked to him. I was surprised to turn around to see two nurses standing there with tears. You need to understand something. When everything looks bleak, when everything looks hopeless, and when everything in you wants to say, just give up, you have to press in to God. 
You have to make that goal line stand. You have to dig down deep to find that little something extra that you go, God, I am not going to let the circumstances I'm looking at cause me to give up hope. If you were a John on the island of Patmos, you are with me here in this hospital room, in this attorney's office. You are here with me in this funeral home. You are here with me in the midst of this battle. Our God always makes a way for us. Can you say amen this morning? He always makes a way. Which leads me to what I think is the whole point of why Jesus appeared to John like he did is is that God is more powerful than anything I could ever imagine. God is bigger. God is larger. God is greater than anything I could ever imagine. Look at this passage of Scripture. We don't have time to break out everything in it, but there's something in particular I would like you to see this morning. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands and standing in the middle of the lampstands, and the lampstands in in this book is symbolic of the church, was someone like the Son of Man, and he was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. Now, this is Jesus. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire, and his feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves." When John looks at Jesus, he remembers Jesus. Now, 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 think with me for just a moment. Those of you that know your Bibles, those of you that don't, let me just give you a little background. The last time Jesus, that John saw Jesus was when Jesus ascended into heaven. Last time John saw Jesus, Jesus says, look, I'm not a spirit, I'm flesh and bone. And then he says, have you got anything to eat? And he asked for some fish and that you could still buy that type of fish at the Sea of Galilee. It's called St. Peter's fish. He, he cooked breakfast for them by the fire, but the, the wounds, the marks of his agony, the wounds in his hands and the wound in his side. Remember Thomas, he said, Thomas, here, put your hand in my side. The, the marks of the agony of Jesus Christ were still visible. And it was this same Jesus that ascended into heaven. But now when John sees him, his whole countenance has changed. This is Jesus, the risen Son of God. And if you will let me just take one illustration to show you. He's looking at his feet and they're polished like bronze that's been refined in a fire. Bronze was the strongest metal, the strongest substance that the ancients knew of. It had to be refined in a fire to make a shield. It had to be refined in a fire to make a helmet to make armor for them. And he looks at those bronze feet. Everything has been put under the feet of Jesus Christ. Every single enemy he saw on the Lord's day had been crushed beneath the feet of Jesus. And as I shared with you earlier this morning, whatever is under the feet of Jesus is under your feet as well today. That's the significance of what he's seeing. (coughs) Bronze gates are used throughout history to define the strength of a city. The gates of hell will never prevail against the church. And I think what Jesus is saying to John on that island, he says, John, whatever scorpions, whatever devils, whatever persecutors you face, I have already triumphed over them. God has already triumphed. He heals us from all of our diseases. He rescues us in all of our dilemmas. And whether like some of those believers we've been praying for in North Korea or Afghanistan, whether we live or whether we die, we live as unto the Lord and we live forevermore.
And you've got to grasp that. To understand the prophetic significance, you have got to get the personal perspective. Christ is always with you. Finally this morning, God holds me in His right hand. God. God holds me in His right hand. Years ago, before I moved up here, I had to have a surgery that there wasn't much hope. Matter of fact, I was frightened. I was really scared. Mark, when you went through your surgery just recently and I stood with you, I had flashbacks to that day. The surgeons at Emory University had told me, said, if you don't have the surgery, you're not going to live. But the prospects of you coming through this surgery are not very good. And I remember, make a long story very short, coming to that decision and laying on that surgical bed before the anesthesiologist got in there and I just started shaking uncontrollably and tears coming out of my eyes and I looked at the team and it was a great team compassionate team I owe a lot to Emory University in Atlanta and I looked and I said I am so scared I'm so scared and one of them just reached over and I'll never forget it put their big strong arms under me and lifted me up and pulled me close and just began to sing, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. And somehow or another, the shaking stopped, the trembling stopped, and peace descended over me. Because in a surgical unit, somebody just picked me up in their arms and they laid me back down on the gurney and the anesthesiologist by that time had walked in and he laid his hand on my chest and he said Dennis everything's going to be okay that's one of the reasons I'm here today and I'm here to tell you God holds you in his right hand and he will never never let you go as a matter of fact, the Bible says nothing can pluck you out of God's hands. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. There's no better place to be than in the hands of God. No better place to be than in the hands of God. No better place to be. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. Those stars were people. Those stars are people like you and me. They're not movie stars. They're not famous personalities. Those stars were messengers to the church to represent that God holds them and God holds you and me. Now listen, don't miss this. This is the personal perspective that makes all of the prophetic passages significant. God holds you in this imperfect world of pain and suffering 
Accidents like Pastor Palmer had yesterday, disease and sickness and war and terrorism, the perfect God of this world who has a plan, who says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. The beginning of my life is in the grace of Christ. And the end of my life is in the grace of Christ. And I don't mean to diminish anything that you might be going through, but all of the middle pales in significance to the beginning and the end. And He shall reign forever and ever and ever. And you and I are going to reign with Him one day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And why does He hold us? So that you and I can be radiant lights in this world that we live in. So that you and I can shine like the sun. Jesus said about you, you you are like a city set on a hillside. I'll tell you one more personal story. In the mid-90s, when I was working on my master's, I flew to Detroit and took two courses from our seminary here in an extension class that was offered here. I was traveling at that time probably at the height and the peak of what I was doing, speaking over 300 times a year, practically living on a plane. There was stress between Becky and I because of it. And sometimes you can have too much success. And I just was burned out. And I got on the plane. Remember the old Smith Terminal? Remember our third world airport before we got our new one? (laughs) I got on that plane and I sat down and I never, ever, ever sit on the window side. I like putting my feet in the aisle. And I can't tell you what happened because I'm not a weeper, though this is the second story telling about crying. But I started to cry, and I just kind of turned my head to the window. And this lady sitting beside me, she reached over and she put her arms around my shoulders. And guess what she began to sing to me? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. Do you think I didn't know that Jesus was with me and that God was going to pull us through that? See, He's bigger than anything you can imagine. He transcends anything that you can imagine. He is always there. And you need to grasp that. I mean, you don't need to just accept that as truth. You need to get that right here. God is always present. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And sometimes there are those little points in life that happen. A phone call. An email. Someone praying with you in the altar. Those little points where God puts somebody to remind you. It's not the song, He's got the whole world. It's not the lady on the plane. It's not the tech in the surgery room. But it's Jesus manifesting himself through you. Who will Christ manifest himself to through your life this week? Who will know Jesus loves them because of your witness this week? And who will Christ send your way to touch you this week? He holds you in his right hands 
so that you can shine. So therefore live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm asking you to put your trust in Christ today. If you don't know the Lord or if you've slipped away from Christ, you know you're not following Him like you used to. And I invite you just where you're standing, talk to Jesus. Tell Him that you want to turn from your sin and you want to follow Him. Even if you don't feel particularly bad about your life, maybe you're one of those really sweet people I was talking about. You wouldn't hurt a fly. But you know inside there's something that separates you from God. You needed what Christ did for you at Calvary. I need what Christ did for me at Calvary. I wasn't as sweet or kind as you are. But all of us have sinned. All of us, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And you can just pray something like this. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to shed his pure and innocent blood for my sins. I don't understand it all, but I repent, I turn from my sin, and I want to follow you with all my heart. If you did that, if you'll let us know after the service, we'll help you get started in your walk with Christ. But now I'd like to speak to the church at large. You're serving a perfect God in an imperfect world. But you would be honest enough to say to me this morning, say, Pastor, I'm on one of those islands that... You may not call it an island of rejection. It may be an island of marital problems. It may be an island of family problems, financial problems, health problems. I mean, I could just go down the list. We have people in this church that they've had family members murdered. We have people in this church that have buried their children. There are people in this congregation, they would tell you, I'm not perfect. I almost destroyed my marriage, almost lost my family. People who felt so all alone and yet God came into their life. And if you're here this morning, every head is bowed, no one's looking around. And just like the first service, you lift up your hand and I just kind of want to take a moment and leave it up because I want to be praying for you. You say, Pastor, I need to know Jesus is with me. Yes, there's hands going up right away. Pastor, lift it up high. I need to know Jesus is with me this week. Somebody else, you say, Pastor, I need to know God is with me. I need that. I mean, this is, I really feel alone right now. Would you hold it up high? I feel so alone. Sure. In every section numbers of hands. Will you put your hands down? 
And I'm going to ask all of us, would you just lift your hands and worship to Him? Just begin to just, not a song, but just begin to tell Him you love Him. Begin to adore Him. Begin to invite Him into your life and say, Jesus, change my perspective. Lord, change my perspective that I know that you are with me. Lord, change our perspective. I pray for everyone, Lord, as we lift our hands. You have promised to never leave us nor forsake us. God, for those who are going through a dry place or they feel like they're on an island all alone or that no one would understand, God, would you impress upon them Let them experience your presence and know that there are people here that will love them and walk with them to whatever life issues they're facing. Now let's put our hands down. Now here's a prayer that all of you can pray. Would you ask Jesus to use you this week to bless and to minister to other people? They will sense his presence. Just just pray something like, God, use me this week. Let everyone that I come in contact with sense something about your love, your peace, your deliverance, your help, the joy of the Lord. And would you make a personal commitment right now that every single day I'm going to enter his gates, not with complaint and whining, but with thanksgiving in my heart. And I'm going to begin the day with praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There are decisions right now being made. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh God, I bless you today. I bless you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Tell him one more time, you love him. Bless him. Draw strength from the Lord. Draw strength from the Holy Spirit right now. Hallelujah. Now turn to your neighbor and just bless them. Just say, God bless you. God bless you. Love them. Shake their hand. Hallelujah.